You're listening to ZZ Talk, a father-son generational podcast where we talk about entertainment, culture, and a variety of other subjects from the perspectives of both Gen Z and Gen X. I'm Noah. I'm Greg. And this is ZZ Talk. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. So, Thank it's- you. <laughs> so it's finally October, and of course, uh, my dad and I are big horror movie fans, but that doesn't mean that we can't watch TV every once in a while. So we sort of wanted to kick off this month with a horror-themed uh, episode, and uh, the story of this episode begins with me getting a targeted advertisement from a review publication that was notoriously hard on a lot of TV, movies, games, media in general, and they gave the show a 10, and I couldn't believe it. I had never heard of this before, but it was the hottest new thing coming to Netflix. So I did a little bit of research and it is called Midnight Mass and it's from director uh, Mark Flanagan. Uh, And it's, it is something for sure. So we're going to discuss it uh, probably quick episode by episode. It's going to be non-spoilers at first, but we also want you to know that we did not watch it together and we have not talked to each other about it in detail at all. So uh, what else do you want to add to that? I think I will say that, uh, I think you've already said this, there are seven episodes. We uh, ambitiously watched it in a week because I don't think either one of us are big bingers. Um, Mike Flanagan is the creator of some other shows that have been um, somewhat popular and successful on Netflix. I think uh, The Haunting of Hill House, The Haunting of Bly Manor. And I have to say, I was not a fan of The Haunting of Hill House. Mm-hmm. And Bly Manor, I liked better, but I never finished it. So that told me, uh, so, so when I realized that, and I think Mike Flanagan is, is sort of becoming a little bit like the Duffer brothers, uh, a Netflix sort of darling, and they are giving him some creative opportunities to just create and recreate a variety of different shows, which is interesting. And, mm-hmm. and Midnight Mass is... Uh, I can't wait for us to discuss this because I just finished it an hour ago. I probably watched it in 212 settings because I had to keep <laughs> pausing it. But uh, let's let's get to it, Z. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm just going to go ahead and start and say this is a pretty exceptional horror TV show. And I do think that the hype is worth it. Would I give it a 10? Not no. Great. But there are many aspects to the series that make it very unique in its own right. Of course, it explores religion. Uh, The synopsis is a very small town off the mainland, so essentially a beached island town, uh, has a Roman Catholic church, and essentially mostly everybody attends. And then their um, father or uh, whatever, the priest, uh, he ends up going on a journey to Jerusalem and he's not back for a while. And then some young guy unexpectedly comes in their place and things start happening around uh, the island. So it's very interesting. From the outset, this uh, show did grab me. You know, it wasn't very slow. Um, I would say that Matt Saracen, or should I say, uh, was it Riley Guilford, who plays Matt Saracen in Friday Night Lights, was quite, uh, he was quite a good actor in this. And I wasn't expecting him to have such a good turn. It's uh, Riley Flynn, played Riley. by Zach Guilford. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. All right. Well, it's a, it, I have to say, there's a lot to enjoy about the series, but 
I will also say it is a very, very slow burn sometimes. And that works to its benefits and also its detriment. What would you say? I think I have to agree. I really liked this show. There are, I have a lot of feelings about it, which we'll sort of unpack in the next half hour. Um, I thought it was extremely well done. Let me just put it out there. The, the actor who plays Bev, give her an Emmy right away because I thought she was phenomenal. Um, oh, yeah. So for me, that was a standout performance among other really strong performances. Um, it's such a slow burn. It could have been five episodes, not seven. There were some scenes that I kept thinking about you and I having this discussion. Yeah. And I thought, oh my goodness, if this scene doesn't ever end, I, I'm not sure what I'll do. I, I literally walked one of our dogs twice and they were still sitting on the couch talking about what it means to die. Uh, yep. That's the scene <laughs> I was remembering. I, I remember checking my phone and I think it was 15 minutes. Or- uh-huh. So there's a lot of, uh, like we said before, there is a, a lot of um, slow burn in this. It's very talk heavy sometimes, but I wouldn't say it's necessarily ever boring. I would just say some scenes last much longer than they need to. Each episode is over an hour. Uh, there's nothing in the hour and a half territory, but they certainly do feel their length sometimes. But that's not to say that there isn't at least one very interesting aspect in each episode that keeps you wanting to watch more. And I will admit, I never felt like the show was a drag, but I certainly thought that it was overlong in some places. However, let's sort of dive in to the first episode. What, uh, what did you think? What was your initial impression after uh, watching the first scene? Okay, first episode, the very, very favorable. I thought the very beginning, mm-hmm. and I, we're not allowed to talk spoilers here yet. Not allowed to talk spoilers, okay. but just sort of the what? opening scene was captivating. And in fact, it was so captivating that when it transitioned to the island, I was a little disappointed because I was so intrigued mm-hmm. by the way the first scene was sort of played out for us mm-hmm. and our introduction to Riley Flynn. So um, really liked it. I have to say that there were some characters as soon as we got to the island, particularly the mom that I thought, the mom and the dad, I thought they were caricatures and it really bothered me. Um, I thought, okay, so this is taking a turn and not in the direction I wanted to, but they grew on me and uh, I appreciated the character development, which in hindsight, or at least by the time we got to episode three or four, I especially appreciated because then we understood Mm -hmm. not just who these people were, but their relationship one to another. So I thought it was a good episode. I thought it was a strong intro. The first scene really grabbed me. Yeah, I would definitely agree. And fun fact, the dad in this show is the child from E.T. Uh, um, do you know it took me until episode four or five to realize that was Henry Thomas? Oh, you know, it, it, it's uh, you wouldn't be able to tell, though, you know, especially uh, with the sort of setup of the show. But overall, to your point, I agree that the first scene especially establishes the overarching themes of the show very, very well. It's grief with faith and biblical religious uh, sort of ideologies. I think it really starts off the show uh, and gives the audience a clear picture of what they're going to get into without revealing any hidden surprises along the way. So I thought that was cool. 
All right, so um, I would also say that overall, uh, this show captivated me with its uh, horror. I thought it was great that there were no real jump scares necessarily. There was a... I thought there was one, which I don't even remember what it was now, There's but I enjoyed that very much. Window scene. Um, but I really yes. appreciated how it took a slow start to building up this entity. You see it originally in like the very beginning when where they're in the uppers, but then you see it over time and you're like, what is that? So the evil on the island or perceived evil pops up very sparingly, but it's used very effectively as well. Uh, now, I would I would agree. I, I would agree. I thought it took a bit, uh, an episode or two for us to sort of get into it or for them to at least draw us in uh, for the first full episode was character development and uh, a little bit of story. But by the time we got, you know, episode two began with the, well, I'll just say it, the cats on the beach. Mm -hmm. And then it started to, by the end of that episode, you started to realize something was happening. You didn't quite know exactly what mm -hmm. I would have to say that this series is extremely well-written. Uh -huh. um, I, I, I also have to say, I am not a fan of overuse of music in uh, TV and film. And I felt like it was horrifically overdone in this. There were some scenes, even though they were hymns, which I like growing up, I was very familiar with all of the hymns, which I just thought were way too long. And, and again, probably could have been six episodes, maybe even five. But if you took out some of the exposition, the long discussion, and some of the scenes with so much music, you could have really condensed it or made each of the episodes a little bit shorter. So yeah. that was a that was a beef of mine. So I was originally going to disagree with you on that saying I thought the music was used very sparingly. There's a lot of silent ish scenes. But I know what you're talking about. Because when there is music or singing or maybe a sermon, you hear all of it for five, 10 minutes. And I know exactly what scene you're referencing when they're all walking uh, to the final night. Um, but overall, well, that was one of a few. Yeah, yeah. Overall, I would say that uh, the show establishes its characters early. So you are very, very familiar with each character's motivations, what's plaguing them, and what you can possibly sort of expect uh, from that character going into the next episode. So I think that was a necessary evil, if anything. Um, but overall, this show, I definitely recommend it for fans of horror. And if you're looking for your next Netflix uh, binge after Squid Game or whatever else is popular up there right now, I would give it a watch considering it's October and it's spooky season. I would, um, I would definitely recommend this to uh, any of my friends. I would have to say that Netflix continues to impress me with the uh, ever improving quality of their, of their shows. And this if you are a fan of uh, his previous work in the ones that I mentioned, Bly Manor and Hill House. He also did Dr. Sleep. That's right. Yeah. Then then he, he ups the ante here. I, I think it's a very worthy, if not completely, I wouldn't call it completely original, but a very worthy um, watch regardless of the time of year because of the strong performances, the really strong um dialogue uh the script is, is tight and um i gotta say that 
I was all in for, for, for most of it. Now I've got some beefs that we'll sort of go through in, in a minute. And I really am ready for spoiler section because no, I got to ask you a couple of questions about this. Certainly. Okay. So on a one to five scale, how many Z's would you give it before we go straight into spoilers? Four. Four? Yeah. I would say four is right where I'm at too. It's, it's quite good. So if you don't want to hear any spoilers, this is your warning. Uh, turn off the podcast and then turn it back on after you've watched it. But uh, we're going to dive straight in right now. All right. So what is your first question or sort of thing that you want to get off your chest? Okay. I got two. First of all, are they vampires? What's going on? They are. Well, sort of, they're not really, but they're, it's it's sort of a religious take on vampires. Yes. So essentially they are angels or perhaps demons. It wasn't Uh necessarily. uh, So the creature here, let's start off uh, right off the bat. It is essentially this creature feeds on people like vampires and it can't go out in the sun and it has human-like characteristics. It has that kind of brain somewhat because it wears trench coats and. um, But it's billed as an angel of God. Right. Because the pastor Uh, Sorry, uh, the priest discovers a buried tomb in Jerusalem, which sounds crazier than it played out on screen. And uh, he's in the dark. And then this thing growls at him. And then it kills him by biting his neck and drawing his blood. And then it cuts part of itself open and it bleeds back into him. And he's given eternal life. So essentially, what the priest reads that is, is divine choosing of a certain amount of followers who are given the gift of eternal life. And I find that the mix of religion, it was actually quite clever because to some people that would be an angel, correct? Mm -hmm. But for other people who didn't know and were forced to do it, they would see it as a demon, especially when they're looking at its appearance and the potential that the potential damage that it can cause. So that was very interesting to me. Um, yeah, I would definitely say, definitely say I liked the creature, um, and it showed up sparingly enough in the first few episodes, and it wasn't overdone, so that was good. For me, the the whole series changed for the better in the scene where um, the creature was at the altar, mm-hmm. turns around, and sees uh, Riley come mm-hmm. in, and the priest says, "Oh," and there goes the creature I, coming right at us, yeah. right. Uh, at the conclusion of that episode. And I was like, all right, game changer. I'm all in. Because to your point, it's a creepy character, but one that is used sparingly enough so that you want to see it more, but you really don't want to see it more. And that's what made it so good. And the other thing too is, you know, they kept referring to religious, uh, you know, overtones, not overtones, it's overtly religious, but it's, um, I will listen to the name, Midnight Mass. But they kept saying, you know, um, so often in the Bible, angels are referred to as um, when they're seen by people, people are sore afraid or so afraid. So it makes you wonder, okay, so angels maybe aren't beautiful and with the glow around them. Maybe angels mm-hmm. take on a different appearance that we don't know because we haven't really seen them the way I they're. If uh, you go to Google uh, after this episode, type in biblically accurate angel and you'll see just how crazy and different Mm -hmm. Uh, and i think that's the cool thing about religious mythology there's so many uh different people from all different walks of life who interpret 
naturally occurring phenomena or, you know, stuff that they can't explain in different ways. And then it makes its way into perhaps what vampires would have been for Christians, right? Or perhaps what um, uh, like the Wendigo would be for uh, indigenous people. So I think it, the theme of religion has like a lot to work with here. And one thing I really appreciated about the show was that they're actually very respectful. It's more of an exploration of how people uh, interpret religion and what it means to them and how they use it for themselves and how it can ultimately become a selfish thing rather than focusing on your faith. And I found it pretty exceptional in the way its research was done. I mean, they Mm -hmm. had those Bible quotes on hand. They had those... um, they had, it's almost like whenever somebody said something, Bev, who was this amazing actress, had a oh counterpoint fantastic. to where she could twist, uh, she could essentially twist a Bible verse into her own agenda that would make people feel like they're not following the book that they've obviously read. So pretty cool stuff there. I will say it definitely was a deep exploration rather than sort of religious bashing. It explored... Um, it, it explored Islam uh, and it also expe- uh-huh. it also explored Christianity, Roman Catholicism. So I appreciated that there was a lot under here to discuss, but it was never pandering. It was never too critical because we've seen that already. Other- well, and there, I have to say there was a point at which I wondered, is this woefully sacrilegious? I can't quite figure it out. Um, and then I decided, no, I, I thought I'll, I'll tell you in the last episode, the most powerful moment of the entire series for me as someone of faith of the Christian faith, when I don't know if it was Bev or the priest told them to kill one of their, the people it was outside of the church. Mm -hmm. And, and he said to Bev, but he's always been really kind to me. You know, she said he had never gone to church and he said, but Bev, he's always been really kind to me and a nice guy. And I thought, wow, that's really powerful because people believe that if you're a good person, mm-hmm. that is the same as being um, a, a, a saved Christian. And, you know, I'm not here to um, preach, but I am here to dissect the difference between or the similarities between what this was conveying and what Christianity tells us. Right. And consequently, what I believe. So I just thought that was a really powerful moment that they didn't really uh, seize, which was fine. They just let it linger there for a moment. And I thought, okay, I'm well done. Yeah, well absolutely. done. I loved how they also sort of touched on how religion can be weaponized, uh, depending mm-hmm. on somebody's personal agenda. But um, I also, you know, I, I just really appreciate it. It actually felt more respectful. And I think a lot of people see the idea of religion being played with in TV shows and movies and automatically think it's, you know, blasphemous or sacrilegious. But I think in a lot of ways, this wasn't just giving general ideas about Christianity. This was from people who really knew the books inside and out and had done extensive historical uh, research on it. So I appreciated that. And it made for a smarter show that not only had creepy elements to it, but also sort of was able to take a deep dive into, you know, some of the most popular beliefs in the entire world. Yeah, Uh, there were so many good parts of it. I mean, so many different character scenarios. For example, the pregnancy, Mm -hmm. I thought was amazing. Um, I thought the I I thought the de-aging mother was not well done. 
No, you could tell she was a young person in old person makeup. And not acting well at all. From the yeah, very- not acting well at all. Um, I thought um, I-, I thought the scene where the girl who um, had been paralyzed is walking and she goes into the trailer to see the person who accidentally must have shot her, mm-hmm. um, rendering her paralyzed was really powerful and really yeah. authentic uh, for both of them. Um, I thought the AA meetings were really strong. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I, I thought this was, was good. And in fact, the doctor, I wasn't quite totally on board with the doctor. And I got to tell you, the last episode. Okay, so let's talk about this. Yeah. The last episode, the very first scene is a woman awakes and from outside of the church. And I didn't quite understand who she was because she had de-aged so much. It was the doctor's mother. I didn't realize for a second either. And then I, was- I kept wondering, who is this person? Who is this person? Then we find out that she is the mother of the doctor and the father is the priest. And oh I'm just like, wow, because what I didn't understand until then, and maybe I wasn't supposed to, was remember when he was preaching and they had all been to, to midnight mass and she left the church and she said, that is not my church. I am not going back there. I am not going back there. That's and it was because she realized person I knew that's right. Yeah. Right. So uh, yeah, that was, oh, some of these things were really well done. Yeah. The most of them drama. were well done. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. Um, if there were some weak points of the show, I would say that I essentially knew everything that was going on by the end of the third episode and episode four and on it felt like it's just we know who the creature is we know what people's demons are we know what's going to happen with this person like I felt like we had been given all of the information a little bit too soon and I was really enjoying taking little breadcrumb pieces of seeing what was the new priest's motivation like what was this creature I really appreciate those little breadcrumbs and guessing for myself for the first uh, probably three episodes or so. I thought that was really well done there. And then I felt like I had everything, which was fine, but it made for a lot slower television in some instances, Uh especially when they were having real monologues about life. You know, it's just people. So while the writing is good in the show, people just don't talk like that. And while it's actually very profound, I feel like the show gets a little self-indulgent despite how non-flashy it is in that way. But I think it reads as more of a character study, uh, more so than an overt horror TV show. So it sometimes it balances that really well, and sometimes it feels far, like far too much for the scene at hand. Would you agree with that? I I would agree. I did not pick up on everything in by the third episode, but I still felt it was drawn out. Some of those scenes, and and you could see them when they, you could hear them when they started. And I literally found myself thinking, oh boy, I got to settle in for this long, uh, you know, scene that's just going to frankly be quite boring. I I did think the scene where Bev and uh, the, the, I think it was Bev and the teacher, it was definitely Bev because Bev was, you know, the highlight of the entire series, in my opinion, when they were trying to convince um, the townspeople why um, the Bible, it was okay to have the Bible in the classroom. And mm-hmm. of course the sheriff is Muslim. Yeah. Um, and I, I did think his, 
his um, that conversation that he had with the doctor about mm -hmm. his experience and how he wanted to help after 9-11. Yeah. And so he enlist, he didn't enlist, but he went to the, the I guess, the police academy and, and, and sort of rose the ranks. But then there was perception that as a Muslim, he couldn't be authentically supportive of the United States position. And they reduced him to certain things that were far beyond far beneath what he had aspired to do. I thought that was really powerful and really well done, too. Um, I thought the character of the the sheriff and the son, uh, that was quite good. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, you know, learning their little backstory was great as well. And I appreciate how the show didn't go over. It was very, whenever people made little comments to him, you could tell it was discriminatory, but it wasn't this overt, blatant. Agreed. You know, Agreed. I, I, that would have been painful to hear and really not what I wanted to hear. It drove, it drove the message home in a very, very good way. And I felt like that was one of the longer talking scenes that really had impact. Yeah, so. I agree. I, I didn't mind that one. The, the one that comes to mind is when, uh, the teacher and Riley are are sitting there talking about what happens when you die. And yeah. I just thought it was way too long. And um, then, yeah. And, and then occasionally those long scenes can actually be, you know, pretty good too with, with what you're saying, why the Bible should be in those schools. You know, the scene was really long, but it just showed how much of a, it really showed a lot of Bev's character. It showed uh -huh. how she was a master manipulator and how she would always get her way, no matter what, by really contradicting herself many times, but essentially asserting her authority through her beliefs, whereas it was just for her own personal agenda. I thought that was really a really good scene of showing how manipulative she could be. Yeah. Okay. So um, I have two more things to say, and they're both focused on the last episode so there was okay uh, Aaron Green is the teacher and uh, she is having the creature is literally drinking her blood mm -hmm. and she is using a knife to cut holes in its wings and I thought oh this is going to be so good because he is going to get up and not be able to fly away he did pretty well he did pretty well and so it was sort of like I think you could have done a little better there in um, impacting story-wise. I feel like that should have had more of an impact than it did. Honestly, it didn't have any impact whatsoever. There was the assumption that he wasn't going to make those 30 miles when he was flying west mm -hmm. away from the sunrise. But I thought, oh, that's a sort of a missed opportunity. I, I could live with it because to the show's credit, we never again saw that creature. But I just felt like, eh, I wish that had happened. The last thing I will say is I did think the last scene and the last line were perfect. Yes. When um, absolutely perfect. When Riley's younger brother is sitting in the boat with um, the character who had been able, who, who was uh, before Lisa, Lisa is the girl paralyzed. who was paralyzed. Yes. So uh, Riley's little brother and Lisa are sitting in the boat and uh, she says, I can't feel my legs. Uh, it was just so powerful because you had had that long sequence of the hymn. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, because the sun is rising, mm -hmm. everybody dies, right? So it goes from hymn to silence. And those two are in the boat. 
and she just looks at him and says, I can't feel my legs. So all the blessings that had occurred on the island mm -hmm. had gone retroactive. And um, I just thought, wow, please. I, I literally sat there thinking, please end here. Please end here. I don't want to hear another word. I don't want to see another scene. And it went black and the credits rolled. And I thought, well done. Yeah, you know, I I feel like TV shows don't need to go out with like a giant bang in order to be super effective at the end, because sometimes that final shot really sort of encapsulates what the entire show is about. And I really appreciate those moments of quietness. Um, when I watch Wind River, um, there's a scene at the very end, and it's very quiet, it's very calm and very measured, but it is so powerful. And I haven't seen an ending like that in a while. So I appreciate that, especially with how Midnight Mass, it ended not with a happy ending, but it ended with a resolution of some sort, but it seemed more honest rather than everybody's going to make it off fine. It's just the ambiguity actually worked in this sense, in my opinion. It did. It so, did. Yeah. Overall, by the way, you know, a number of these characters or these actors are in Bly Manor and or Hill House. Yeah, Mike. So it's a little bit of an anthology kind of thing here, which I like very much. Uh, and he's got a new project in the works for Netflix, of course. And yeah. a number of these characters or a number of these actors are are going to be in it. There's probably a few references in the show to his past works. But um, yeah, he actually uses a pretty regularly recurring cast for a lot of his films. He made Hush. He also made Oculus. And of course, Dr. Sleep, which was really, really awesome. good. Um, really good. And then, of course, he has two hit Netflix shows now with the addition of Midnight Mass. So mm -hmm. I think he's going in the right direction. I appreciate the intellectual way he is branding his horror. But I also think it's a good idea that uh, he is keeping things subtle in many ways. And it challenges you to think rather than be overtly scared by some a cheesy jump scare. Because at the end of the day, I didn't feel like any of this was tacky. If anything, I was just thinking to myself, okay, this is going over long. It's a bit self-indulgent, but everything felt, the world felt lived in. The characters were clearly fleshed out. You felt for every single consequence that happened to them. It at least hit you in some sort of way without you saying, I don't care about that person. I really appreciated how it was a people first center drama under the sort of cape of the concept of religion with a little bit of horror mixed in. So very well done in that way. Um, I definitely appreciated the show a lot. I yeah, think. I, I call it highbrow horror, uh, really well written, really well uh, acted, directed, quality, quality TV uh, and, and quality horror in general. And, you know, quality horror is hard to find these days. It so, is, but I think it's making a bit of a comeback. For some I, I do too. And I was pleased. This is enough of a departure. You know, Bly Manor to me was a lot like Hill House. It, maybe it wasn't to the person who really loves those two, but since I didn't love either one of them, I just thought, eh. But, and maybe it was because you made me watch all seven episodes in less than a week, Noah. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm glad you did because um, it, it put the pressure on, but I probably enjoyed the experience that much more because the episodes were closer to one another. Yes. So overall, I really appreciated the opportunity to watch this. It's not a 10. It's not a perfect show by any means, but really... I'm not sure there is a perfect show. Um, you know, everybody's going to have their own opinion, but overall, I think we agree that this was well worth the watch.
Definitely. Uh, a very exceptional start to the Halloween season. And I very much appreciate that uh, Netflix is giving more of an opportunity for these creative outlets with horror. Same. So. It's also Huluween, by the way. So it's not just on Netflix. Oh, yeah. I still Hulu. have my... I still have my shutter description uh, subscription too. So. Okay. All right. So. Yeah. Oh, cool. So uh, thank you so much for listening to another episode of our podcast. Uh, now we have to check it out. Yes. Now we have to check it out and you can go first on that one. I will. Okay. Big surprise here. It mm-hmm. is a TV show. What's and up? because we recently subscribed to Apple TV plus I've been watching um, defending Jacob your mom read the book a couple of years ago, and it's with Chris Evans and Michelle Dockery, uh, who is from uh, Downton Abbey. Mm-hmm. And of course, everyone knows Chris Evans as Captain America, but uh, eight episodes, um, a drama that is a slow burn, but really well done. We're six episodes in, hope to wrap it up tonight. I have no idea. Um, what the conclusion will be but it's really given given me a a great appreciation for chris evans as an actor um and uh just an overall uh quality tv show when i think of some quality tv shows of the last year or so i I would say like mayor of east uh east town um i would say this is in that category there's some this is the golden age of television and this is another example of the golden age of television. Yeah, I mean, we certainly have more thrown at us than we can handle these days, but a lot of that is quality. So I, I think it's always disingenuous to say, oh, there's no good movies, there's no TV shows anymore. We're probably just not looking in the right place or just don't. It's have- hard because we're so over, I mean, we're bombarded with options. And, you know, I, you, know you get a, a million new shows, not a million, but you probably get dozens of new shows every week. So it makes it hard to decide what you want to watch. And so therefore you sort of tend to go back to the things that you know, which is why, again, I'm glad we watched um, Midnight Mass this week, but check it out. Defending Jacob on Apple TV plus. Great. All right. I also have a TV episode recommendation from a running series from the New York times. So Um, I believe the show is called the New York Times presents and then there's each episode is a different subject of some form of popular culture or human interest sort of current event case study, essentially. So as many people may know, uh, Britney Spears was released from her conservatorship uh, last week, which is huge for her. Uh, She had been living uh, under that for 13 years. And if you don't know what a conservatorship is, then just watch this episode. It's pretty crazy. And I love how it sort of goes through the details of how this kind of sat unchecked for a long time. And then people started reading into it, understanding what her situation was, and then how a grassroots movement really started into a wider social media discourse that got people talking. And this it gave this woman her life back. So I was obviously very young when Britney Spears was extremely popular. But I was around for some of her hits. And I think it's just really important. It's a great way to show how this generation is, instead of just talking, they're really looking for action. And I feel like this was the first, uh, one of the first very tangible uh, ways that somebody has benefited from this. Um, So I thought it was a really cool thing. It's called Framing Britney Spears. It's episode six, uh, and it's on Hulu. So go check that out. Uh, I thought it was fascinating. 
how TikTokers and other social media influencers had really brought people around this and it ultimately led to her being released from that. So pretty cool stuff. Yeah, I watched it some time ago. It's pretty good. Yeah, I definitely agree. All right. Um, Thank you for listening to our episode. We love doing uh, these types of horror breakdowns as well. We might have one more for you in the month of October, but until then, we will see you next time. I'm Noah. I'm Greg. And this is ZZ Talk.